Sentimental, I thought I'm glad of something I'm not. I had lessons to design. Sitting in their seats, very straight and tall. It felt like the room would never hold them off. Don't look now, the school year had begun. Reading and math, they went by so fast. Then I struggled getting it all in. Between where do I stand and did you wash your hands? And Jenny won't be my friend. At the end of the day, when the kids were away, I looked at our Christmas tree. These toothless kids and the things they did were starting to grow on me. The one thing you have to know is how to love them and let them go. You'll teach them things when the school bell rings But there's so much more that this life brings You'll fall in love with every little face By the time they get in line to leave this place Prepare your heart to stand here all alone I've got to stop there and find the second page. What do you think so far? Awesome, awesome. Spring went by in the blink of an eye, and the field trip went just fine. We kept our heads to ourselves, and the books on the shelf, we were always good in line. We had learned so much since that first day, I was proud of what they could do. But as I pictured them all in second grade, Mrs. Johnson's words rang true. The one thing you have to know is how to love them and let them go. You teach them things when the school bell rings, but there's so much more that this life brings. You fall in love with every little face, and by the time they get in line to leave this place, prepare your heart to stand here all alone. The day finally came, they were all in line. Ready as they could be. I had a lump in my throat as I looked at the note. Mrs. Johnson said to me, I know you're letting them go, and I want you to know that this is where you see what you're made of. Good teachers believe that they plan to see of a tree they'll never sit in the shade of. The one thing you have to know. Is how to love them and let them go. You'll teach them things when the school bell rings, but there's so much more that this life brings. You'll fall in love with every little face by the time they get in line to leave this place. Prepare your heart to stand here all alone. Prepare your heart to stand here alone. Okay. <laughs> Excellent, Kevin.
you have any more? I've always got more. Maybe I'll just play a little background music. How's that? Awesome. Awesome. This is a song I wrote for my wife. It's a country song, so it has to end sadly, uh, which, you know, she found kind of sad, but it's sincere. Looking down through the window many years ago, I saw your pretty face and I fell in love. Up to then I didn't realize what love to be. There's been the sunshine on your face and the light left And I learned how to love. I learned how to be. I learned just how precious this old world to be. With the sunshine on your face and the light left go. And I learned how to love. Staring deep into your eyes many years ago I saw the true dimension of our love I was shaking in my shoes I couldn't wait to say I do And when the man said kiss the bride My heart let go And I learned how to love him I learned how to see I learned just how precious just I learned what to be When the man said just to cry My heart let go And I learned how to love Looking down to the window Many years ago I heard the newborn echo of our love Looking both like mom and daddy Crying loud and strong And when he looked at me and smiled My heart let go And I learned how to love I learned how to feel I learned just how precious This other world to be when you look at me and smile, my heart let go. I learned how to love. Standing right next to your bed just two days ago, I realized that I'd always been in love. I had to say goodbye to you, my heart was breaking. Right into, and when your hand went soft in mine, my heart let go. And I learned how to love, I learned how to see, I learned just how precious this world wants to be. And when I see you in the sky, my heart will go. Excellent, Kevin. That is so awesome. <laughs> we have about eight minutes till we start, and Kevin has been serenading and playing for us. 
just going to play a little background, just some stuff. Okay. Go for it. I've been seeing with teachers, we've been sort of improvising the uh, the uh, state assessment blues. <laughs> teachers are great at coming up with They're great I at coming it. up with lyrics, I'll tell you what. You got that right. I'm just going to make up something. Who knows where it will go? Okay, don't expect it to rhyme. Hey, fill in the dot. That's all that I've got. Everything we did to get you ready for me. Who knows? That's how it goes. I got the high stakes chest again. Kids walking around like zombie blues. <laughs> it's more fun when you're sitting around and everyone can throw a verse in. Um, the blues comes to mind this time of year. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's see if it'll take a second. Okay, I'll try this. Yep, it's a job in the city. Working for the man every night and day. But I never lost a bit. Thank you. 
I had to lift the mood up a little bit there. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Hmm. We got three minutes, right? Three minutes, yes. Well, I've been running down the road, I've been running all night. there at 1 minute 18 um, and <laughs> give you guys ears a break but um, oh that was so wonderful thank you Kevin good morning everybody I just want to test my test my mic and have an opportunity to say Kevin that was a really great pleasure I think it's a wonderful addition to the beginning of our show and it's nice to meet you online Back at you. I just feel uh, lucky that uh, usually I have to go to a coffee shop where no one's at to perform. <laughs> well, you can stop by any time. Any time, yes, definitely. And we'll take you up on that offer to write a theme song for us. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'd love to. We could do it collaboratively. Lately, I've been writing songs on Google Docs collaboratively, and it's so much fun because everyone has ideas, and whenever I get stuck, we just keep going because people keep contributing. That's an excellent idea, collaborating on Google Docs.
Okay, good morning everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we're here today with special guest Kevin Honeycutt for our episode of Classroom 2.0 Live. I'm Kim Case and I'm joined here with Lorna Constantini and Peggy George. And we are so, like I said, so excited to have with us special guest Kevin Honeycutt to um, he serenaded us and gave us a pre-show um, to introduce our topic today of podcasting. I'm gonna, if you're new to the room, I'm gonna go over a few things about using uh, the Illuminate session room. And there's going to be a time where we're gonna be asking polling questions, and to respond, you'll click the green check or the red X at the top in the menu bar um, to answer the question. Below that is a hand with a green arrow, and you'll use that to weigh in. And um, if you have a question, you can click on that if you wanted to share something or speak, and we would give you the microphone, and then you could ask your question to the group. Next to the right of that are some emoticons and the applause symbol, and to the very right is a blue door. And if you needed to step away for a moment, you could click on the blue door and then we would know that you weren't available at your computer. Um, below that is a, a chat window where you can send a message to either one person or to a group of people, the moderators. Um, any message that you send that is a private message will also be seen by the moderators, so you might want to keep that in mind. But you would type your message and then click send. And if you wanted it to go to everybody in the room, you would make sure that this room is visible. When it comes time for the sharing part, you would again click on the hand to indicate that you'd like to speak. And then you'll click on the microphone button. And when you're finished, you would need to click the microphone button off so that you would deactivate your microphone. Um, <clears throat> it's like a walkie-talkie. Over to the right are the whiteboard tools. And um, when it comes to the world map time, you'll be using your whiteboard tools to uh, give your location in just a bit. Each week at the same time, we gather to discuss technology tools and issues. And our broadcast consists of a one-hour session. And it is recorded. And the link to the full video, the MP3 audio recording, and chat log are all posted on our Classroom 2.0 live site at live.classroom2.0.com. And that will be posted later this afternoon or tomorrow. Um, we post a topic each week there so you can be prepared with links and ideas and share when it comes to that part of the session. And we have a newbie question each week that's pre-announced so that you can bring some solutions or answers and be prepared to join in the discussion. Towards the end of the show, we hope to have a question answer time. And that's when you'll be using the mic um, to ask your questions or share some comments. Okay. And if you're um, not seeing the full chat window, or you wanted to change your layout, you can go and change your layout by clicking on View at the top menu. At the top menu, then click on the Layouts are locked by default. After you have unlocked them, then you can select the desired layout that you'd like, or you can drag out each window and resize them individually to fit your screen. 
and your preferences. These are the whiteboard tools that I mentioned, and the whiteboard tool that we're going to be using is the laser pointer. It's got the blue um, wand with the red sunburst dot at the end. And so if everybody would please click on your laser pointer and then click on the location on the world map. And sometimes the dot doesn't go exactly in the right place, so you may have to drag it over a little bit to the right. Well, we have some great representation throughout the U.S., Alaska, Africa, parts of Europe. And we welcome everybody this morning. And it's such a great representation throughout the world. And we're so glad that you joined us today for podcasting with Kevin Honeycutt. Now we're going to move on to the poll questions. So you will click on your green check or the red X at the top in the menu. You may need to click on the mouse pointer in the whiteboard tools. But we're going to ask, have you ever created a podcast? And if you have, click on the green check up in the menu or the red X if you have not ever created a podcast. I'll give everybody a few seconds to vote either yes with the green check that they have created a podcast before, or if you have not, click on the red X up in the very top menu row. And the results show that about 32% of the group has created a podcast before and about, I'm sorry, has not. And about 54% of the group has created a podcast. So that's excellent. And those who have not, you'll find out ways and uses of creating podcasts throughout the show today. Kevin Honeycutt is a pro. So let's go on to the next question. Have you ever had your students create a podcast? So perhaps that. Um, that you may not have done so yourself, but you might have had your students or had enough information to guide your students to creating one. So if you have had your students, please click the green check. And if you've not had your students, click the red X. I'll give a few seconds, and then I'll go ahead and click on the results. And 51% of the group has not had student, had their students create a podcast, and about 32% have. Excellent. That's a great representation. Thank you for everybody who participated in those. And now we're going to head over to the newbie question on what is podcasting. And I'm going to pass the mic over to Lorna. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Kim. And look at the full 
uh, classroom we have today. We've got 80 participants, and we're really excited to have you here. For those of you who are not uh, familiar with our, our newbie question, this is an opportunity for just a quick overview to um, the context of what we're talking about today. We would really like to get into a lot of details for those people who are new, but this is not really the venue to do that. We are introducing the subject for you, and we're going to enhance it with our discussions in a few minutes with our guest. As a, a new person to our session today, please try not to get overwhelmed with the amount of information that's going on in, in the chat room. The questions and answers are recorded as the, the chat room uh, text, so you will be able to go back and look at it later. It is a good place to put your questions. And uh, as uh, Kim has already said, the recording and uh, the audio and the uh, video recording today will be in the archive section of our website. So you do have a chance to go back there and check out the questions and, and pose a question there at the same time. And we'll try to get back to you with answers. This is a wonderful opportunity to get acquainted with the resources. And, and Kim's going to explain a little uh, later about our share tabs page, where you'll have uh, access to all kinds of information on today's topic. So that's a, a preface to what we're going to do, and I'm going to now go to talk on what is podcasting. And the, you know, the term podcast came from the combination of the two words iPod and broadcasting. And so podcasting is an audio or video recording, often done in the style of a radio or TV broadcast, and it can be made available for a subscription subscription on the internet. And so what makes podcasting unique beyond audio or video clips is that it's posted on websites in which a subscription function is placed. And that means that every time a new episode of a particular podcast is placed on the internet by its creator, it's automatically sent out as to an entire list of subscribers. Probably the most uh, easily recognized uh, catcher is the one we know is, is iTunes. And for those of you who were with us in the session with um, about feed readers, you will remember that the term RSS, or Real Simple Syndication, indicates uh, how the uh, podcast audio uh, file is sent out for people to uh, access. Podcasts are managed the same way as someone would use uh, the feed reader for a blog post. And particularly, we need to pay attention to the fact that a, a podcast needs to be put into a um, software application like or a blog or wiki for the RSS feed to be caught. So that's the specific thing that's different about a straight audio file as it turns to the word podcast, because the podcast can be subscribed to. But that doesn't mean that we need to concentrate on just having an audio file caught by a subscription, because many people associate the word podcast with really an audio cast. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with someone making an audio recording and posting it on a, a static website and still have the benefits of uh, a learning experience for our students that allows for uh, the development of a, a script, uh, the communication piece, a collaboration piece. So we tend to think of podcasting in the terms of being subscribed to, but we still have people thinking of podcasts as simply creating an audio file or uh, a video file, file um, uh, of a classroom event. So that's pretty much the indication, excuse me, pretty much a descriptive definition of podcasting, either as a subscribe function to an audio file or the posting of an audio file on a website. So 
how can I use a podcast to support my teaching? Well, that's really the essence of today's discussion, and I'm not going to get into the different uh, opportunities that your students have and you as a teacher have. That's really what our uh, guest, Kevin Honeycutt, is going to be doing. So at this point, I'm going to turn this over to Peggy to introduce our uh, guest and allow Kevin to actually explain how can I use podcasting to support my teaching. Well, Robert, good morning, you, everyone. Thank you, Lorna. That was great background for us as we enter into the topic of today. And we invited Kevin to be our special guest today to talk about podcasting. But for those of you who know him and those who don't, he is so much more diverse than podcasting. Kevin is actually a technology integration specialist for ESDAC, and that stands for Educational Services and Staff Development Association of Central Kansas. And I was thinking about if there was one word I could use to describe Kevin, and the word I come up with is passionate. Kevin is passionate about everything he does, and his passions are always centered on kids and teachers. He's driven by finding and sharing pockets of possibilities, as he calls them, and he does it with such inspiration by telling the stories of people who inspire him. He is the creator of the Art Snacks Ning community for students and teachers, and that is close to 2,000 members. The site provides such a positive, encouraging, supportive space for students to collaborate and share their work and receive feedback from peers and mentors. So after the show, you'll definitely want to check out some of Kevin's other resources. He has a regular podcast called Driving Questions in Education does some excellent things with online safety and cyberbullying. He has a Plurk radio show, and there's so much more. So you need to go to his homepage at kevinhoneycutt.com um, to check those out later. So today we've asked Kevin to especially focus on several things. His upcoming Podstock conference in Kansas on May 1st and 2nd, and a little bit about how he got started with podcasting and why he chose that as a medium. And we hope that all of you will add your questions and resources and tips for the ways you use podcasting or audio recordings with your students. You can drop them in the chat during the presentation or on the mic during the Q&A time. So with that, I want to say a huge welcome to Kevin, and it's all yours. Wow. Wow, I don't know what to say. My face is red. Uh, jump in and, 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 and point me back in the right direction if I'm too random. Uh, the first thing we, you said is that we'll talk a little bit about Podstock. And I want to throw this out to you. Um, Forty years after Woodstock, you know, I had this idea that, that we should do Podstock, that we should uh, plan for two, two, um, two days of, of learning and fun and exploration and, and really not to build a conference, but more of an unconference. And, and I sort of based the whole thing on, on Steve Hargadon's EduBloggerCon. I sat in that audience and was just um, just enthralled. And then I thought, OK, this is EduBloggers. Uh, we need something for EduPodcasters, uh, something something for them. Um, so I thought, well, we'll have it here in Wichita, and at the heart of the country, in the middle of the country. And i got to tell you, it's the scariest year to have a new conference. I mean, look at the economy. 
it's like field of dreams, you know. I keep thinking if we build it, they will come. And I know people don't have money, and I know it's it's hard. And so I've been saying, you know, get in your van, get in your van, talk to your personal learning network, find out who lives between you and Wichita, and pick them up on the way, a la Route 66, Jack Kerouac. I can tell the story of your adventure on the way there, uh, podcast that, you know, journal that, audio, video, whatever. Um, and then when we get there, when we get there, we're going to have these breakout sessions and Wesley Fryer is our opening uh, keynote and, and we're going to learn the nuts and bolts of podcasting all the way to um, to people who've been podcasting for a while and how to how to finesse it so it's it's always getting better that the things you're doing with your kids or the things that you're doing on your own. Um, after day one, after those sessions, that evening we're going to have a dance. And this, you have to imagine this now, we're in this long room. Half of the room will be Second Life virtual dancing. The other half will be a real dance floor with a DJ and an open mic um, and people coming up and playing songs on their iPhones, playing pocket guitar on their iPhones and, and uh, playing real guitars. And it's going to be sort of like a little bit out of hand and hopefully what our people will do is circle up in little campfire circles on the floor and talk about how we could do this. How can we leverage this amazingly engaging tool to really hook our students and to really give them something significant to do and, and to make them producers of something with a real audience, an authentic audience. And, and so the next day we've got open rooms. Now we've got speakers and we've got sessions, but we've also got open rooms for ad hoc conversations that, that followed out of those little campfire circles the night before. So people can go in and say, you know, I'm going to adopt this room and here's what our group wants to talk about and we're going to sort of build it out of whole cloth right here uh, and use our, our PLNs and our, and our analog groups uh, to sort of imagine. And we're going to use Illuminate to, to, to share these, these sessions out live um, and that's all coming together thanks to Steve Hargadon. Um, um, my hope is that after this first one people will say, wow, okay. That was good. Now, I want you to understand that I'm couching all of this in this wonderful hippie speak on purpose to make it seem what? fun, low stakes, uh, not intimidating, uh, so people will come and open their minds and, and, uh, and remember what it was like to be a childlike learner again. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yay. Okay. And so if you tell me right now. I'm sorry, I turned my mic off because I was just going to let you talk, but that is such an exciting conference format and it's so wonderful that we're going to be able to participate virtually. So thanks for creating that for us. Okay, so I want to get on to, get on to how I got started in podcasting um, and go from there. I want you to understand that I, I work with technology-rich classrooms, which means I travel around from school to school and help teachers get started in these things. That's kind of what I do daily, but back in the early days of podcasting, um, I was terribly intrigued by this because I was a DJ, um, and as a DJ, you know, I, I did this show, I did this broadcast, I did the weather at the top of the hour and the bottom of the hour, and I had these things that I said, and, and uh, a lot of the same kind of aesthetic moved over to podcasting, and I think of podcasting as broadcasting, as sharing, as distributing your thinking or your product or whatever you do, so it felt very comfortable for me, but I'm on the road all the time, I'm driving all the time, and that's why my podcast is called driving questions is here I am driving four hours and I think man I'm wasting heartbeats behind this wheel and I listen to audiobooks constantly and try to feed my brain but I just felt like I was wasting so much of my life 
sitting in that seat behind the wheel. So I, I put my laptop in the passenger seat and I aimed the webcam at myself and I hit record and I started talking to the laptop as the viewer, as the person. I thought of it as my wife at first. and So I would ask questions, questions that came out of these books that I was reading, like A Mind at a Time and The Myth of Laziness and The World is Flat and Here Comes Everyone. And I'm inspired by these books and then I have no one to talk to. So I talk to you, the viewer, and there's the viewer sitting over there. And I publish that whole thing. And I do it in iWeb on the Mac and, and publish that uh, to iTunes. And uh, then I thought, well, not just, I should interview famous people. So I, uh, I started contacting authors and saying, well, can I, can I, can I talk to you? And, and you know what the fun thing is, is that no one has ever said no. Even when my podcast was unknown, it seems like people err on the side of saying, I think there's a publisher who says somewhere, hey, this is a viral thing. Yeah, you should do that. Um, because people seem to say yes. So the first one I did, I did with my cell phone. I plugged it into my car stereo. I bought, I have an old truck, so I bought one of those cassette tape you know, things you put in that has a wire sticking out of it. And I plugged that into my phone and I ran the person's sound through my truck speakers. And I pulled over at a rest area and I interviewed for the first time. And I thought, wow, that was fun. Now, please keep in mind, I wouldn't interview while driving. Talking while driving, okay, but I don't want to get engaged and crash into something. Um, so in the meantime, I'm doing all of this. And if you look on YouTube and you search half crash latte, you'll see an episode where I'm talking to you as the viewer uh, when a lady crashes into the back of me at the drive through at Starbucks. Um, and you can see I have it in park, so it wasn't my fault. Um, but I knew if a policeman pulled up, he would blame me because, you know, I was talking to a computer. So you see me reach over and sort of quietly close the lid. Um, so anyway, it just started picking up steam and I started interviewing more people. I met Steve Hargett on this way. I met Daniel Pink this way. I, I started getting sort of closer to these, these people, these big thinkers. And the audience grew and grew. And it became very clear to me how powerful this was for learners, for students. Uh, it, it, I love how uh, we defined podcasting sort of generally earlier because I think podcasting is what you think it is. I think if you have a strict definition, you disinvite people. If you say it's not a podcast, you have full distribution and you have to you know, have your RSS feed in place. You know, if it invites a learner, if it invites a teacher, a podcast is a recording on a cassette player. Okay? I think it's more the overarching idea that a kid is doing something different. A kid is speaking instead of just writing. It's reading his script. Is, is, is being dramatic, is opening himself up to, to showing off his or her learning styles, is being engaged. Uh, to me, I want a broad funnel that lets everybody in. If you want to talk about narrowing, narrowing that funnel later by you know, RSS or distribution, that's fine. We can put the nuts and bolts in place. But I think it's immensely important to make it easy, to make it easy at first. And those of you who are using it in the classroom, I'm hoping in question and answer, you'll talk about how you got started and, and why you do it. Um, because those stories pop out all the time. And let me give you a for instance. Uh, I was in a school the other day and I was helping kids for the first time uh, record um, their videos. And their videos, we're calling them podcasts, but they're not podcasts yet, they're just videos. When they're ready to publish, we'll call it, you know, it'll be a real podcast. But for now, podcast makes them excited. So, you know, their podcast. And so we're sitting in front of a chroma key curtain and the kids are choosing their backgrounds and they're reporting from the Boston Massacre. 
you're here today at the Boston Massacre, and here's somebody who is just uh, one of the, uh, I think it's one of the, uh, um, the lobster backs. Don't call me that. Okay, one of the British soldiers. What happened, sir? And they did this whole point of view thing, you know, from the point of view of the colonists and the point of view from the soldiers. So the kids come in in one group at a time, and they record. And here's what I love. I had some kids in these groups who struggle with reading. These are their own words and they're in big font, but they struggle mightily with reading, especially uh, when they're nervous or they're on the spot. And how many times does this happen in classrooms when we go around and randomly pick people to read out loud in front of everyone and the stakes are so high? I used to have this problem. I, I seize up in that moment if I don't have the script memorized, you know. I have a difficult, difficult time. So now let's look at sort of how how this podcasting thing works. That with the teacher that I'm working with, we write a storyboard, then we write a script, the kids rehearse the script, and they rehearse the script. So it's not the first time they're reading it in front of people, so they don't have to feel quite as nervous. And here's the second piece of magic, I think. Take one, take two, take three, take four. They can mess up 10 times, we'll keep the 11th take. And when everyone sees the final product, that kid is reading and sounding like the other kids and is not singled out because they're, they're stammering or they're having trouble. It, it can be benevolent, this editing process that kids can do. They can make themselves sound and look the way they want to via the technology. I saw that happen. And I saw one of my little kids light up when I said, oh, we don't have to get it in one take. We can do it as many times as we want. And I saw the weight of the world fall off of his face. And he emerged in that moment. He emerged and his personality came out. You know, we were so stuck on stammering and words, I couldn't see the kid and he couldn't show me. But the minute the pressure was off, he became a different kid. And that, to me, is magic. So anyway, this is, um, this is kind of how I got started personally, and I think a lot of teachers do something once themselves, feel comfortable with it, and then let the classroom do it. I'm seeing teachers out there having kids do all kinds of different projects, but more than anything, they're sharing to an authentic audience, and it raises the stakes. And if you think about this, and I say this all the time, writing is a social medium, okay? If I write, it's designed to be read, but in most classrooms that aren't using digital and aren't using podcasts and aren't publishing worldwide and making a big deal out of their kids, the kid hands in the assignment and how many people read it? Typically, how many people read it? Okay, so let's say that's one. That's the teacher, okay? Now let's introduce the idea that the kid has a, a perception that the teacher doesn't like them. Now what has happened in that one moment to the kid's entire motivation for writing? His entire, her entire motivation for writing. Can we let it be that fragile? Can we afford to let it be that fragile? But the kid writes a script, they read their script, uh, they bring out the drama, you know, maybe they're more sort of their learning style is, is dramatic and maybe they can make their words sing, you know. But anyway, they put that out there for a lot of people to see, to get feedback. And now suddenly there are these extrinsic stakes, this reason to do it, this excitement that's generated by this moment uh, of showing off, you know. In, in theater, it's, it's opening night. You know, when is opening night for these products that kids uh, create uh, while learning? I'm going to hush for a minute and uh, let's see, see your plane go by. Well, I can just keep rolling or I can see if there's anyone that wants to sort of ask a question to sort of point the conversation sure. or if it's going okay. okay. It's going well. Uh, a couple things. 
Okay. Well, a couple things I think are important is that we find some easy ways uh, to make it just to make it possible, and to talk to teachers about about addressing different learning styles and opening their minds toward letting kids show off in different ways. And my sort of I have a personal narrative in this regard. I talk to people about how I got into all this digital stuff. Is that it was the missing piece. Now, Podstock, I want you to understand, podcasting is the hub of that wheel, but it's not just about podcasting. That's about Web 2.0 and changing schools and doing what it takes to engage learners and prepare them for successful futures. That's the, the, the larger conversation. When I go to Edge of Blogger Con, if we don't sit there and talk about blogging constantly, we talk about everything. It's a very open conversation, and that's exactly what I want to, uh, to happen at, at, at Podstock. Um, people that are using Audacity and how that's successful. It, what I'm so excited about now, this is what I'm so excited about now, the world changed again fairly recently. When I first joined Classroom 2.0, it sort of rocked my world. Suddenly I have access to over a thousand back then and then 2,000 educators worldwide sharing ideas to get me over the speed bumps when I crash into something because we die of waiting. Oh, there's a reason why I can't do Audacity. The servers won't let me, blah, blah, blah. That speed bump, teachers go back to the status quo pretty quickly because we have to. There are 25 people waiting at all times. So anything we can do to, to eliminate the speed bumps, to knock down the barriers. Well, Classroom 2.0, here you have this entire personal learning community of very open people you know, sharing openly and daily. What have I done? If you've been using Audacity for two years, you're, you're a high-value target. I've got a teacher who started yesterday. Will you help her? Uh, will you be there for her? Uh, she'll be there for somebody else in a year from now when she's the new expert on Audacity. So first it was Classroom 2.0, and I, I love Ming. And I'm looking at Classroom 2.0, and I'm saying, wow, um, um, I love how teachers are sharing here. And I'm also out there talking to kids about online safety and talking about netiquette and talking about how do we grow kids who know how to be good citizens on the web when we didn't grow up on the web. How are we even qualified to talk to them about it when we didn't live that reality and we're all out there scrambling to come up with some kind of a curriculum? You know, what do we say? And it's all over the map from we'll firewall everything and they won't be able to do anything or it's the Wild West and it's wide open and we just don't pay attention until they mess up and then we yell at them. It's a mess out there right now. It's an absolute mess. And I think if we're going to create a Petri dish to start to learn how to grow good web citizens, we've got to create places online like Facebook, like MySpace, but that are mentored, that, that there are people there and that kids are sort of shown the rules of the road as youngsters. So they don't grow up in the wild west of let's flame everyone, that's funny. Let's put pictures on there and make fun of people, that's funny. And no one is on recess duty at all there. So we block it at school, it's not a problem. But it's still a problem because they go home and there it is. And do we have some responsibility in, in all of this? Uh, in most communities, the teachers in the school know more about technology than anyone in the community, in most communities, because they all have a computer probably. So if we don't have some responsibility, then I don't know who does. So all that being said, um, I saw Classroom 2.0, and I started the Art Snacks Network with this idea that 
I'll, I'll create a place that's half teachers, half kids. Right now we have a nearly one-to-one -one student teacher ratio on Art Snacks, so a thousand teachers, a thousand kids. Think about that as a school. So there's 135 uh, curriculum aligned art lessons that last 10 minutes. So, so the kid draws the fire ant and I say head, abdomen, thorax three times. I say exoskeleton. I say insect because my wife told me to say those things because she teaches grades one through four and she wants to make sure we Trojan horse those things on the test into the minds of the hands-on learner. These quick little snacks, if you will. Uh, how we do that. So really the secret curriculum is teaching and learning, but the kids think they're learning to draw and that's fine. So there's the value that keeps bringing people back is all these free lessons and I create these on my own time on the weekend. No one's getting paid for this network. It's my grand experiment. Um, the kids are starting to write in the writer's block. In the poet's corner they're sharing poetry and they're, and they're putting their podcasts on the network and uh, on the front page, you know, I, I kind of I set the thing, I frame the conversation, I say, uh, welcome to the Arts Next Learning Network. Make sure that it, the things you, that you publish, pictures, videos, words, are always appropriate, appropriate for our littlest artists. And in 375,000 page hits in two years, how many kids do you think have tried to pee in the pool? And I say pee in the pool and I mean how many have tried to mess up? in that many page hits, in that many visits. One kid, one kid tried to post something inappropriate. I said, hey, you can't post that. He tried again. I had to ban him. One kid. Everybody else saw that thing up there, said, oh, that's what the expectation is, and has lived up to the expectation. People are mentoring each other. Kids are saying nice things to each other. They're saying, nice drawing, Timmy. Wow, your lobster is great. Um, kids who draw very well are becoming rock stars and powerful mentors for kids who want to learn to draw. So there's a model here that's a mile deep that if you start to look at, you can say, no, this, these environments can be positive places and we can steer them and we can, we can grow them, we can fertilize <laughs> them and sort of make them into these positive places where kids learn, but it takes time and it takes community. You know, it takes more teachers. I ask teachers all the time, can you go on to Art Snacks and say five nice things about five kids' drawings each week? When I first started doing this, I had a teacher say, those aren't my kids. And it hurt my feelings because none of them are my kids. I said, I know, but they're all our kids. Can, you know, so now I've got people who do that. Benevolently go onto the network, find a drawing of an ice cream cone and say, Samantha, your ice cream cone is excellent. You've got to be careful when you do that because if you say, that's a great horse, then they'll go, it's a turtle. <laughs> so sometimes you want to talk about lines as dark and light and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> It's been so fun. Let me give you one more little story from Art Snacks. I had a 16-year-old boy on Art Snacks who went to a charter school with no art teacher. A lot of the kids on this are homeschool kids or kids from schools with no art teachers. Um, so this is their art. Anyway, Nathan is on the network and, and he, he's a very good digital drawer. He's good with the mouse and he's good with Photoshop and Illustrator, but he has no pencil skills. And, and he says, I want to draw with a pencil. I want to be a twin threat. I want to be analog and digital. And I'm like, great, I'm the Yoda of analog, fine. So. Um, He's asking if I can tutor him personally, and I'm on the road almost every day, so I know that's not going to be possible. But I said, Nathan, uh, try this. Go to the library and check out those big books, those big books that are a foot wide um, with the masters in them. Look through them and find art that inspires you and emulate it. And guess what? He did. And he didn't just do that. Um, he is a master 
By the time he was 17, this kid was much better than me as an artist, as a visual artist. Uh, um, he was He's a, a prodigy that didn't know he was. He was a kid who was waiting to happen. So he starts drawing like Rembrandt, and he's good. He's very, very good. And if you're on the Arch Next Network and you search the word Nathan, there's two Nathans. One of them will be the Nathan I'm talking about. If you look at his work, um, he's amazing. And not just is he amazing, he's humble. He's kind. He's mentoring Jason, who's in second grade, and you know, drew a fire truck that looks looks like a bologna sandwich. And Nathan's finding things that are good about it. And when Nathan says, "Nice job on your fire truck," he's a rock star. He's a 17-year-old prodigy. Everyone wants to be like. So I've got this role model, who who self-appointed, and is being you know a powerful force on the network. And so I'm seeing these things happen uh, inside this walled garden. Um, and I keep an eye on it, and other people help me keep an eye on it. But I'm seeing amazing things happen that are teaching me that we can do very positive things with, with, with virtual places. Um, I'm going to stop for just a minute uh, and see if... Uh, Thank you, Kevin. I just am so excited to hear the kind of experiences that you're letting students do, and it's really rewarding to see that it's not just you, that a community of teachers is building on what you're doing. I would like to, having said that, take you back to a very simplistic question. And that would be if I'm coming as a new teacher or I'm trying to coach a new teacher, the organizational piece to do this. I'm thinking of the classroom. I'm trying to get them to record a, on a sound piece. And there's all kinds of activity you know, going on in the school. How, how do I manage my classroom? How do you manage this piece of creating the podcast? And then, OK, you have to put it somewhere. Well, what kind of permissions? Well, what kind of process do you help a new person go through to get to you know, what you're talking about with your podcasting? I absolutely love your question, and it's one of those nuts and bolts uh, questions that gets people started. And I'm going to give you my some things I've done, and please understand, it's just my angle. There are a million possible angles. Uh, my angle, I come from the background of, of theater and theater directing, and so I use all these words. Um, but what I usually do is set up one computer, one place we call the hot spot, where kids go produce. And then we work on the culture. We set up an expectation where when kids say, quiet on the set, everyone is quiet, just like that. They do their line. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was my favorite book I read this year. In the book, Charlie, who was very poor, the kid does their script. Now, they rehearse a lot. They don't do the rehearsal while everyone has, has to be quiet on the set. If you cry wolf like that, you'll lose this. But the kids will respect each other's moment if you set that expectation. So now you've got this sort of Hollywood thing going on where we're over here talking about adverbs and verbs, and suddenly a kid yells, quiet on the set. <laughs> and everyone's quiet, and she does her thing, and she stops recording and goes clear, and everyone goes back to work again. And you leave that stuff there. You know, I think what breaks down a teacher's deal is when she goes to the to the smart board and something doesn't work, or she goes to the the projector and the bulb is blown out. I mean, deal breakers like that. So I like to go over, create a hot spot. I even tape it on the floor sometimes, and I'll say, "Kids, hit your mark. There's an X right there, three feet from the camera and three feet from the microphone, because we don't have a good microphone. Make sure you speak up. Make sure when you talk, you see that little level thing come over to at least 50 percent, or we won't have you loud enough." And so we coach them. We had a clinic here at ESDAC last year. It was a, we called it a student, student film clinic. We called it film because that seemed all Hollywood. And the kids all came in, and we had lights and everything. So the kids were, were producers, and, and the actors were talent. And, and we say things to the kids like, don't sweat the talent. What does that mean, don't sweat the talent? Don't put the talent in the chair if your computer and your process isn't right, because the, 
here's the here's the actors sweating under the lights, and if you make them mad, they'll go to their trailer, um, and so and the kids will say, "You're sweating the talent, Jason," <laughs> and then they'll get their process figured out faster, so that the actors come over, hit their marks, start talking, hit stop, and the teacher the classroom goes back to what it was before. And then we have these moments when we publish, or we have these moments when we edit. But as a rule, kids can come and go to that to that place over there, do their producing, and it just becomes a lightweight part of the culture. Does any of that make sense? Sure does. I, I can't believe what a great answer that is. <laughs> I know it. Fantastic. Keep going. Sorry, Kevin. So, I was going to ask about actually. Okay, you've got it. What is the technical piece that you're using to to publish? You're using iWeb yourself for your own podcast. What? How would you help the teacher get the 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 actual publication piece? And where is it going to be hosted on the internet? If you had to work with the school board and getting the technical party, you know, partners on side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's always something different. It depends on what the school has. If the school has Macs, of course, we, we use iWeb because it's easy. A lot of times it's Podomatic, um, and we start out in the sandbox. We start with a sandbox model, and we sort of prove the concept. Before it goes live on the website and all the parents see it, we sort of start out and say, oh, here's how it works. Oh, we just published. Here's the RSS feed. Well, here's how it delivers. Here's how we submit to iTunes, but we take our time. We take our time. We don't try to push all of that really, really fast. They might be with another, and by the way, I'd invite people in the room to put their favorite, their favorite uh, tool for publishing podcasts on here, especially the web-based ones, um, because they can be easy. Now, this can be. Don't let there be a deal breaker. Okay, here's the deal breaker everyone throws at me. That's blocked at our school. Okay, don't stop the conversation there. Let's say we're going to use Podomatic. We're going to use a free account uh, to get started, and it's blocked at the school. That's okay. Keep producing the video. Keep producing the audio. Keep them on the teacher's computer or on a jump drive or on a hard drive, an external hard drive, whatever. And the teacher will probably always have to do some stuff outside the network at first. I mean, we do that all the time. We go to YouTube and find a video, and we, we go to Zamzar and convert it so we can use it in our PowerPoint because we can't go there from school. I'm interested in the workarounds. If you know the why of it, the how of it is doable. With a personal learning network, the how of it, there's a million ways to do how. First, understand why. This is important because it's got to engage my learners. It's got them communicating and collaborating in 21st century ways that align to the net standards, and we'll be, we're building successful people for the future. There's my why. Now, let's talk about how because we can do how. One of my favorite ways to talk about doing how now, between Classroom 2.0, Twitter, and Plurk, I don't sit and wait for answers anymore. It might be five seconds, but that's as long as I have to wait because I've got 800 people in my personal learning network, most of whom are smarter than me. So I say, guys, I need something other than Podomatic. It's blocked at this district. Throw me five. Throw me some quick things, some ideas of how we can publish this podcast and use something web-based. Boom answers from teachers who've done it for the last year. They're not just people who have an idea, they've actually done it. That's powerful information to have at your fingertips. I used to be a detached retina in education. I was the only art teacher in a small district. Uh, when we broke into curriculum meetings, I met with myself. And I burned out in that, in that job because I had no one to talk to or collaborate with. And there wasn't a perk and there wasn't a Twitter. There wasn't a Classroom 2.0 or anything Web 2.0. I was isolated. And now the biggest gift I can give a teacher is to pull them into a personal learning network and to get them on their way with a community around them of smart, passionate educators 
and by the way, you can't just shoplift from a network like this. You've got to give back. There's a give and take. You know, people first get to one of these networks and say, I need some ideas. I'm like, who are you? Slow down there. Just it's like coming to a party and going, give me some chips and a drink, and I want someone to dance with now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Talk to people. Get to know people. Let us know you a little bit. What do you teach and why should I care? I mean, we're all humans, right? Uh, there's, there's a humanity that has to be expressed in these places. It's not just the facts. That's teachable, and that's something that has to be sort of mentored in people. Um, but once they're in there and they're a character in 700 people's lives and everyone's keeping up with their story, they have collaborative, collaborative opportunities everywhere. They, they have support opportunities everywhere. They, that support is everything. You ever have a bad day and just say, gosh, this is a bad day, and no one in the building even talks to you? Uh, I go to clerk and I say, wow, you know, I can share you a, a list. I'm feeling pretty bad. And 30 people, 30 people, it's okay, honey, you'll be all right. Keep pushing, buddy. Don't give up. It might be virtual <laughs> people, but That's they're real. So they true. know me better That's than the so people true. at work. They've had my back in ways that, that bring tears to my eyes, you know. Um, I've been lost at the last moment and sent something out to the edge of verse and had people give me ideas and save my bacon. And these people, they don't owe me anything, you know? I don't even know how to describe what these new macro sort of think tanks are, you know? There's part passion, part personal, part professional. They're a hybrid. Uh, and I think teachers live there. That's what happens in the faculty room. You know, we talk about our kids, and we talk about the dentist, and we talk about standardized tests and, and skill builders and, and software and firewalls, and I think we have to be able to talk in more human ways in places. And that's why I like Classroom 2.0 and, and, uh, and Ming and all of not for their own sake, but for what happens on them. That's a good point. And somebody in the chat asked about, um, how protected these sites are that you've mentioned about posting your podcast feed. I don't exactly mean um, know exactly when you say how protected are the sites. Um, they all have different privacy settings, and you have to kind of decide. Um, if this is private enough, if this is going to work. Let me give you a for instance. Uh, I know some schools are using Ustream. Uh, Ustream or Mogulus, and, and they're broadcasting live events. I know some are broadcasting football games and basketball games and those kinds of things. Uh, you can set that up so it has a password, and the password is something given out to the district and changed every, after each event. Um, there's a the process I call taming the tool. Taming the tool. Okay, we find a new tool and it does an amazing thing. That doesn't mean we use it tomorrow with kids. We have to tame the tool, and that's why I think every district needs a sandbox and some people who are interested in doing this work, sort of building a learning prototype. So here comes your stream. My kids can, can broadcast worldwide. Okay, so if I leave it on the Ustream site, then anyone who visited, visits the Ustream site can click anywhere on the site and maybe see inappropriate material. Okay, I'm glad I learned that. I learned that in the sandbox without kids there with the team of people, and we say, well, how can we do this? Well, let's embed the video on our own website. Okay, so now how is that better? How does that work? We have this process we go through until we like it, you know, everyone feels comfortable with it, and then you move forward. Um, and a lot of times we go a little too fast. Someone makes a mistake. Someone gets embarrassed, and they slam everything shut. So I think it's real important to be able to have that, that, that sandbox over to the side. And so we've got firewalls. Some of the firewalls are pretty severe, pretty strict, and you can't do a lot of things. But I've been out there talking to tech guys and tech integration folks and superintendents and saying, I know kids shouldn't be able to do all of these things, but the people that we trust, that we hire as teachers, I trust them. 
can we set it up so that they can do these things and have a conversation about, you know, do it in the sandbox first, then pitch it to the school board. If you want to create a process of vetting within the district, fine. But if your vetting means blocking everything outright and not even being able to see it at school, then you can't build anything new. You are dead in the water when it comes to educational innovation. Um, so I would ask people out there in the Edgiverse right now, you know, I, I like um, 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 Potomatic for some reasons. Uh, what else is better? What else is out there that you like? Uh, if you talk to your tech person and you get a web folder on your server that you can publish to, um, that can be your, your conveyance. But I think what you're first going to know is why you want to do it, how it's going to be educationally beneficial, how it's going to serve kids. Um, and when you have those words, go then to the superintendent, the principal, and talk about why you want to do it. And once they agree with the why, they will call the other people and tell them to figure out how. But a lot of times we see something, it's flashy, it's new, it's exciting, and we want, we want it. We want it right now. And I think I know, that's where we get into trouble because we don't exactly know the rules of the road and you don't want to learn those with the kids in the back seat. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And explaining that fine line between allowing people access to hear the kids' podcast as well as protecting them from, you know, harmful or destructive sites or, or people that might, you know, manipulate the podcast or contact the kids. So hard to find that balance. You know, you know where I start is I study the podcasts that are created by kids on iTunes and other places and I see how they did it. You know, the first people that go out on the, on the bleeding edge take a lot of risks, but if they didn't take risks, none of us would ever get to follow them. Um, so I admire their bravery and uh, I go out there and I look at some of these kid casts and, and, you know, audio is different than video. If you don't see a kid's face, if you just hear the voice, it's a very different thing, uh, generally. Um, but as you go and start studying, and this is what I do, I, I take teachers into a room and we go on a podcast safari. Okay, I say, get on your pith helmet and get your machete. We're going in, people. We're going to go into the jungle of podcasts and we're going to come back to the clearing with good stuff for our kids. I send them on three missions. The first mission, go find something that you like and that makes you laugh. They, they can't believe I've given them as an assignment in staff development to go out and find something personally funny. They come back and they share what they found. And then I send them out to find something that teaches them something they always wanted to learn. So they come back and they have this, this handful of podcasts that, that just, oh, it's cooking or it's fixing your car or it's German. I always wanted to learn German. Then, just before lunch, uh, I say, okay, we're going on a third mission. This time we're going to find stuff that's good for your classroom, aligns to your standards that, that you would use, you know, with kids that you, you know. So they go out and they find that. And then we have lunch, and in the afternoon we have the uh, podcast Oscars. So they all nominate their podcast for an Oscar, and they go up there, and we have to give away a trophy or whatever. And I, I, I've taken them from not knowing what a podcast is to exploring and playing to finding personal relevance and good stuff and then becoming advocates. Now what happens over and over as a teacher will go, God, that's really good, but we could do better than that. And that's the moment right there. That's the moment right there. We could do better than that. Those kids' book reviews are good, but we can outdo that with sound and our kids will write much richer scripts. Fine. 
now get the tools in place, you know, and, and get them ready. And we can learn from those people that took the early chances. How do they do it safely? Contact the school administrator, who will be probably proud and, you know, happy to tell you, here's how we did it. The school board was nervous, but uh, we did this and this, and that's kind of how we figured it out. You can get it right from the horse's mouth. And most, most of those podcasts on, um, on the iTunes uh, store, up at the right-hand corner top, it says website. You can go to the website, find out the principal, and, and kind of find out the story so you're not plowing new ground by yourself, you know, you're following an, an established, you know, um, methodology. So you're not worried, you know, about uh, stepping in something. If you know what I mean. Definitely, you know, that I ground saw, has already been plowed. I just uh, um, was it Bev Kiefer said. Uh, what about copyright? Can I put a picture of a book cover on a podcast? I can't uh, say the answer to that question right now. Um, I would find out. I would ask people in, in clerk and see who's done it. My my feeling is that I try to be really, really, really careful um, so I don't become the the catch of the day. Uh, a lot, you'll see in uh, like. With art snacks, you know, putting that stuff out there, it's all hand-drawn, you know, so like you can't, you know, say, hey, you drew a plane and that's my plane. I, I try to be so careful having kids create in Jam Studio or in Audacity or in iTunes or GarageBand, uh, create their own music. So we own everything. I, that's a sign in my room that said, own everything. We own everything. Kids want to come in and say, I want the background music in the podcast to be Celine Dion. <laughs> You know, and, no, but wait a minute. You know, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to judge the student technology, the student le technology leadership conference in Kansas. This is really cool conference they have where kids bring their videos, their podcasts, their websites, and they compete with kids from all over the state. Um, and I'm one of the judges, and one of the criteria on the judges form is, you know, do they own everything? Are they using copyright material? You know, are they following copyright law? And I've got people that I go to when I'm not sure about those things. Do they cite sources? When their credits roll, you know, do they? Is the source they cite Google, <laughs> or is it MTV.com? You know, a lot of kids don't even know what the real source is. You know, and I think we've really got to work hard with kids to have better information literacy. That is so true, so true. And you know, it's so easy to just put something out there, you know, to save time instead of going through the proper channels and modeling that that process. You know, the dirty, the dirty little secret that we all know is that we've all been a little uh, iffy on copyright the whole time. We've made copies of notebooks and we knew we weren't supposed to, you know, and there's this thing called fair use and I think we make it right in our head sometimes mm -hmm. because we need it. Um, but I think we've got to be careful when we start publishing worldwide that we're not the catch of the day. And I think we got a chance to role model for kids. Let me give you, this is a real story. I wanted uh, a piece of software when I was in the classroom. Um, it was $15,000. And I had a student go to LimeWire and get it. The next day he came to school with oh. on his computer. And I said, that's a felony. That is a felony. He said, no, I could, I could do it. I said, I know you could do it. You can steal a car. Just break the window and hotwire it. But it's still a felony. And he absolutely, this is a Christian kid who goes to church, okay, youth group leader, who in his world did not, if it's doable, it must be free, it must be okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a high school kid. And I'm afraid that we've got to be really careful um, how we approach these things now because if we leave nuance in there, I, I think we role model for kids, you know, uh, that it might be okay or it's kind of okay. So I, I would rather have clumsy, badly made music behind our podcast than have, you know, uh, 
copyrighted music and have people say, you know, they steal. And you could say, what's the rule that people say, you know, 30 seconds of music is legal under fair use. And I just want to stay away from the entire thing. There are so many great pieces of software that let kids make good music. And here's one of the assignments I, I would give them. I said, guys, I would say to kids, this is a 45-second piece. The first 15 seconds, I would like to build suspense. So can you go into... Um, can you go into GarageBand and build me something that's suspenseful? Well, this is higher order thinking. You're sitting there going, what sounds generate suspense? So they're sitting there going, da 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 Yeah, it sounds like Jaws. Yeah, what are they doing there? Oh, it's, it's, it's deep music. It's, these kids with different learning styles are rock stars at this. Okay, after 15 seconds, it needs to sort of let, be lighthearted for the next 15 seconds. So that's a nice, nice assignment to give someone. They're sort of practicing the skills of the Hollywood, you know, soundtrack uh, or, you know, or, um, uh, people who create those. So I don't know. I, I'd rather be creative and not worry, and, and teach the kids how to sort of err on the side of uh, uh, of being careful about uh, trying not to break the law. I wish I had absolute answers here, <laughs> but I lean on my I friends when I'm not sure. I know it, and the fair use is important, and it has to do with the intent, the the length that you use it, and we are going to be featuring a show on copyrights and Creative Commons in the next couple weeks because that's such a big issue throughout education and everything. Um, let's, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. But, if Kevin, if you can stay on, that would be great. Um, a little bit after the, the hour ends, um, we would appreciate it. And next week, on March 28th, we're going to continue our discussion that was started last week with Miguel. Uh, about using ways um, or ways that you can use Moodle in your classroom with your students. And it will be specifically on the different innovative ways and the blocks that you can use it within Moodle. And we're going to have a special guest, Tomas Lasik, who is from Australia. And he will be joining us next week at the same time, 11 a.m. Uh, Central, 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And I'm going to post in here the link to the survey. And if you could please fill that out, uh, you can click on it and just keep it open. Um, or click on it at the end of the show. That would be great. Um, we would appreciate your feedback on using the Illuminate Room here today. And Steve Harganon created the futureofeducation.com. It's another new community that he created um, to talk about education and give a voice to, the, to most of us that may not have that opportunity. And on the March 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific, he's going to have a panel discussion about using open source in education. And there will be several um, leaders there to talk and lead that discussion. On Wednesday, March 25th, a session, What We Heard, Learned at the Closeton 2009 Conference um, last week in Austin, Texas. And they'll be sharing some great things that came out of that conference. And a live panel discussion from Boston on Web 2.0, Vision and Possibilities for Outreach to Low-Income and Minority Students. And more details will be following. And all of these sessions will be in Illuminate. And you can find out more about the times and specific information at futureofeducation.com. Um, provided by KnowledgeWorks and in conjunction with PBS teachers. And we'd like to give a special thanks 
to Kevin Honeycutt today for talking about podcasting and singing and performing, and I'm just such a big <laughs> fan of yours, Kevin. I'm so honored that you joined us today. Um, if you need to leave, we understand. Well, we appreciate and we thank you for coming and hope that you'll join us next Saturday uh, for the Moodle follow-up, part two. Um, and if you can stay, we're going to go ahead and, Kevin, if you could talk about some of the editing process and why it's important to have the kids edit, um, including lower kids, the ele lower elementary grades, you know, how you can facilitate that as well. And then we're going to take some questions. Okay. Well, uh, a little bit about um, editing. Um, and each software and each website uh, has different have different capacities for editing. But editing in general, I think, is higher order thinking. Um, part of what I used to do with kids, and I still do with kids, uh, is you know they, they record an hour and we're doing 15 minutes. And I, I love this because in writing, you know, we talk about thrift and we talk about using the right words and paring it down to you have the essential words, and, and that's a great errand. And it's, it's the same thing in editing. What is your best 15 minutes? And and, and Choosing that, and when they're throwing away or editing and taking out parts that they like, and and they're down to the parts they love, um, I think that is a immensely, <laughs> immensely uh, valuable uh, educational process. And I would tie these together with writing. Make sure they understand that writing and, and the audio, reading of the script, and producing video, and, and the things that people say and the things people see—that's all writing. And I think you can really support and buttress persuasive writing and in all types of writing that we're teaching in this. And I find that. The part that was amazing is that my kids who are traditionally not engaged in the writing process on paper are very engaged and don't realize they're writing, or and even if they do, they don't mind that they're writing because they're producers. The kid who said he hated writing is now saying, quiet on the set, I am trying to produce a film here, and he's staying till 5 o'clock because he's so engaged in that process. I think the, the hardest part of all that is, is balancing it so the process doesn't eat up so much time, and that's all sort of a part of practice. Um, but storyboarding is another piece, and you can Google this, and then the, most of the answers that you guys are asking, and I would go to my network and say, well, what is your most current favorite storyboarding uh, software or a product? Because as kids are storyboarding, they're pre-planning, and they're kind of pre-writing. They're planning for what the background noises should be or music should be, uh, the mood of the piece. Uh, there's so much teachable stuff in the storyboarding process. It also helps you get organized so the kids come to the podcast with the costumes that they're going to bring and the props they're going to bring and the script that they're going to write. And you have that deadline so that kids understand that we're filming tomorrow. And so storyboarding kind of got me, to, got my stuff together as a teacher and helped me get my kids' stuff together as a teacher. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, and I love that. Five, four. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, uh, Eureka. Yeah, I love that countdown too. Five, four, three, two, rolling. You know, <laughs> there's something so dramatic about that that kids can get caught up in and really like. Also, here's the other thing. I saw someone ask a question, or they said a minute ago, they'll let us record ours, but they won't let us publish. And when they say they are. I assume they mean the school board administrators, people who are afraid. And here's here's my advice on that. I'm a school board member, okay, in my town. I second term school board member, and I know a little bit about how we think. And here's what I would suggest: I get those recorded, whatever they are. Bring them to the school board meeting and show them off. Show them off, and everyone gets proud in the room. And then show them another school that does something like it on iTunes, and show them on iTunes. 
And so they're in iTunes and you go, These are, this is a school from North Carolina um, and this is one of the most popular K-12 video podcasts in the world. And they're sitting there going, what's the school board think, thinking, ours are as good as theirs, why don't we publish? So you sort of let them let them have the idea, let it occur to them. This community pride can help push past some of the fear barriers. Um, that's just one piece of advice from a school board member. Excellent point about trusting teachers to be professional and model the appropriate process. Sean, did you have a comment you wanted to add? Okay, did you have a question or something you'd like to share? Because you have the mic. We'd love to hear from you. Sean is a podcaster from Arizona and has done some really great work with podcasting. You can click on the mic in the lower left corner to activate your mic. Can you hear me now? Yes, we sure are. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I've been talking here for 30 seconds because nothing went through, so I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say Kevin has some outstanding information there, and uh, I, I felt everything he said along the way. And you know, I read a couple things in there about how to get started and different things like that. There are some dynamite tools that are out there. If you're on that Mac, you've got Gcast in there. Um, Audacity's out there, and there's a lot of different different tools out there that have been discussed in the chat room. The biggest thing that um, that I would encourage people to do is just get in front of the mic and start talking. Put it in front of kids and get them talking. And anytime somebody contacts you or, or talks to you about, oh my, something naughty could happen in there. Uh, you know, it, it's time to start trusting trusting teachers. We're professionals. We, you know, nobody thinks a thing about letting us walk into a classroom with 30 or 40 kids and and teaching them how to do things. And as soon as we publish it on the internet or, or talk about publishing on the internet, everybody gets really excited about that. And uh, you know, his point that he, he is a board member is absolutely right. Um, if you're getting ready to do this stuff, there's two people you need to talk to. You need to get your principal on board with this. Go, go in, explain to your principal what it is, how it works. In fact, encourage your principal to do a podcast for their community. And uh, if you volunteer to kind of help them with that process, that'll, that'll catch a lot of buzz there. And then the second thing is you got to get the IT guy to, to help you with that as well. Um, I, I am a classroom teacher, but I also work for the IT department in the school district, and I know that there's been a, a lot of times when uh, the IT people are sitting there looking at us, oh, no, we can't do that, and there's something bad could happen. So the more we communicate with, uh, with our principals, our, our district administrators, the IT people, what we're trying to do, it'll be a whole lot easier for us to, to work on this stuff and move it forward. But you know, don't be afraid to get in front of the microphone. Don't be afraid of what you sound like. That's what you sound like. Get over it and move on. And get the kids behind the <laughs> microphone. They will absolutely floor you. And uh, it's some of the most exciting things I, I had ever done. You know, in my role as a staff developer, I didn't get, a, get into the classroom like uh, like other people do. But I brought a group of kids over one day, and 
taught them how to use Audacity, and we published what they did. And what they did, what they talked into the microphone was their creative writing that they had done in their class. And you know, it gives new meaning to voice when they can actually put their voice behind what they wrote in that. And uh, it's just substantially cool things. And then we put it up on the web before they went home. They all ran home, told their mom and dad about it. And for the next seven months after that, I had a little girl that was in that class. She went out, created her own podcast, did a weekly podcast, and it's just really fun to watch this little girl just take off of that. She wasn't doing anything inappropriate, but she was just talking about stuff that she was interested in, and that's just really, really cool. So that's just what I wanted to throw in there. Thank you for sharing. Those are excellent points. They're so relevant, you know, just having, letting Sean? the kids loose. Yes. Sean, you're my new podcasting Yoda. <laughs> you just got to start. You just got to start. And if that's in the sandbox and not worldwide, so be it. But there's nothing that starts. Momentum is the big. You just got to. I say, you know, good teachers write checks on accounts they haven't even opened yet. You know, and, and fear oh, absolutely. and excitement live in the same place. You know. Um, I've done. You know. It's really funny to to listen to some of the the, the fears that that folks have because uh, Kevin, I didn't hear how long you've been doing this, but I started this three over three years ago when there were no books out there. Nobody, you were the absolute uber geek if you knew how to do this stuff. And I can remember sitting in my chair on a Thanksgiving four day weekend trying to figure out how to do any of this and I recorded my first recording in Movie Maker so I could just get the audio in and it was nothing more than uh, uh, basically talking about the weeds growing in my yard just so I had something to, to post and then I found out that I had to get it on a website and I had to, I went to put it on iTunes and it started talking about needing an RSS feed which took me down a whole new realm of what is RSS <laughs> and you know all of these things just were killers. The first class I ever taught, um, Peggy George actually said in on it and she can tell you it was three days and we spent uh, I think almost two and a half days just setting up the website and learning how to deal with the RSS feeds and all of those things and then uh, about a year and a half later I put an Apple podcast server in the school district and now that class is five of the most boring hours I ever spent in the classroom because you can teach a person to run Audacity in 15 minutes. And the rest of that class, they're just repeating the process, learning how to create and edit and post. And it's just fascinating to, to see how much how fast this has grown and especially for, for educators to pick up anything in the speed that education has picked this up is substantial. Um, you know, as a group of uh, people, we don't typically do change very well, but we've jumped all over podcasting and, you know, in my opinion, it's got the, it's got the best chance to really change the dynamics of education of anything we've ever done. Mm. Mm. I agree. I agree. That is very true. The potential is, you know, infinite. I, I've got, I'm trying to find a couple, couple of sites on here that I'll throw in the, the, the chat room. It's um, my podcast, and um, it's a couple different presentations I've done over the years. One's called So You Want to Be a Podcaster, and the other one is the actual podcast presentation I've done over the years. And uh, they're both in a, a format that you can kind of kick back and watch them on your on your screen. So if you're if you're sitting on the dock making up your mind if you want to do this or not, they can be very handy tools for you. So I'll throw those in the chat room. That would be great. 
All right, Sean. And thank you for sharing. Sean? No problem. Yes. Yes. What are you doing May 1st and 2nd? Uh, I have no idea. Because <laughs> um, I think you're a collection to... I'd pick up a collection to get you a bus ticket, and uh, uh, you can bunk with a bunch of us geeks that are staying in one room, um, because you're good, and you've been there from the beginning. You'd be a really good facilitator in the conversation. Well, I'm starting a new job, so I may be able to figure out a way to get get in that neighborhood. So I yeah. just posted the link to my podcast itself, and... and um, there on that on that website, if you click on it, there's two tabs. Um, one is say it again, and the second one is so you want to be a podcaster. So those are the two presentations that I've done over the past three years, um, a number of times on podcasting. Awesome. Those are great resources. Sorry, my phone went off. And of course, there's a three-year history of podcasting in my school district. So. Excellent. Thanks for sharing. Those are great. No problem. So I'm going to shut my mic off now, but thank you very much. And Kevin, absolutely outstanding. I've got your site bookmarked. I'm going to cruise through that and see what new things I can learn. Anything you want to collaborate on, you let me know, Sean. I uh, appreciate that. I will. What an honor. That's awesome. A new recruit, Kevin. Mm. Lori, you want to go ahead and share um, a comment or ask a question? You have the mic. Um, we're not hearing you, Lori, so if you want to um, raise your hand again, then we'll give you the mic and let you have the opportunity again. Howie, uh, did you want to go ahead and ask a question or make a comment? Yes. Uh, Kevin, thanks for great information. Um, I'm going to borrow your uh, safari idea. I hope that's okay. Uh, in a week, I'm off to uh, New York working with the uh, Brooklyn School District, and we're going to do a series on podcasting. So I thought that was a, a great idea. What I wanted to make a comment on was I uh, watched in the chat room a number of people saying things be blocked. And uh, I was a former uh, CIO technology coordinator for 14 years with the Durango School District. And I now travel around the country sharing passion for 21st century learning. And this comes up all the time, and what I suggest to the teachers and staff that we work with is that they get together and kind of get their act together and invite the IT director uh, to their faculty meeting so they can ask some questions about why things are blocked. And uh, unfortunately, some IT directors are, uh, how, do, how should I say it, are control freaks. And um, you know, I think they listen to reason if, if we'll explain to them uh, how this engages kids, how it's good for 21st century skills and so on, for the most part, and Kevin mentioned it also of releasing it for the teachers first and then showing them what can be done. So when I was with our school district, uh, I made it a point of every month to make sure I was at a faculty meeting at the schools to listen to those folks. And in most cases, we could unblock the things. And the other piece of that is if there are inappropriate things, I, I think we need to teach our teachers how to discuss that with kids 
how things are inappropriate, why they're inappropriate, rather than saying, well, let's just block this site. So, Kevin, uh, again, thanks for all the great information. I hope I have your blessing to uh, borrow your uh, podcast safari idea to use it in Brooklyn in a week. Anything, anytime, all of it. Uh, we all borrow from each other. But I wanted to add on to what you said. We have meetings here in NERDAC. 60 member districts all meet here. and We have what's called the nerd meeting once a week. There are two nerd meetings. There's the tech integrationist and there's the wires and pliers guys on the other side of the wall. And they all get together and share ideas of how they're going to do this. And in the other room, the tech integration folks are having their meeting. Then the two meetings come together and they share ideas. And the tech guys understand, oh, okay, this is why they went. Again, they, they don't have the whys. Now, I try to examine why we end up with network Nazis. And rather than vilify them, I, I had to understand where they came from. Remember, their job was to protect technology from us in the beginning. And then suddenly, Web 2.0 happened, and they're supposed to empower end users. And I don't think anyone gave them any staff development to move them from protect machines from people to make machines work for people. And so that's part of our job. And you're right on the money. You are right on the money, Howie. Uh, we've got to get them in the same room. But we've got to be careful not to surround them. And out of our frustration, pick them clean, because I wouldn't want to walk into that meeting with a bunch of frustrated people. Somehow we've got to make them rock stars and say, bye, it's because of you we're doing this. Make sure we don't miss an opportunity to to declare them brilliant because we got to make them want to do this and it's going to take time um, but I see it's possible so <laughs> I, I agree and uh, this one final comment and then I'll uh, uh, get out of here um, make them think it's their idea however we need to do that uh, you know in a positive way I think that'll uh, solve some of those issues True, you get by him that way. Thank you, Howie. Neil, did you have a comment or something you wanted to share? Yeah, just a quick idea that I thought I'd share. Um, about three years ago, I started to use GarageBand for students to make podcast self-assessments of work. Uh, and it's been it's been incredibly powerful. Um, I know probably all of us who are teachers are asking our students to reflect on their work uh, and think of ways to improve. And I've always done that on paper. But as soon as I had students start to record their voice about their work, it it changed uh, dramatically. And the amount of information and the amount of sharing that students now do about their work, both about the content that they're learning and also about just the metacognition of the skills that they're gathering. Uh, it's incredible when you allow students to, to empower students to talk about their work with their voice. And I started it a few years ago with story writing as a grade six student. And between, we were getting ready for a provincial achievement test. And so between stories, I would have students record little one or two minute podcasts about the work they were doing and how they were developing as a writer. And then I would use that when I would sit down and mark uh, or assess the stories. And it completely changed the way I viewed the stories because I, I was able to connect. It's incredible when you hear a student's voice, how you connect the work to that student. Um, and I just think that I've, I've seen numerous examples over the last three years where students that don't write well or struggle with text are able to, it levels the playing field when you allow them to talk about their work using their voice. I Great definitely example. agree. It levels the place. 
Go ahead, Kevin. Here's where I'm, here's where I'm convinced of. Uh, Neil, when Neil talks about this, he talks with a, with a certain flavor or a certain dialect. And certain people hear the way he couches the conversation and it, it resonates. It's powerful. I'm sitting there going, wow, you hooked me. You had me at hello. And I think it's all these voices. You know, uh, different people come at it from different ways. And I think if we put the chorus together, if we listen to other people and follow other people's thinking and say, how did Neil accomplish this back then? And, you know, and how is it improving, you know, education where he lives? Because we can build our own examples and we can go through the frustrations. But I think if we start first by, I want Neil in my personal learning network right now. Um, I want to collect these trading cards uh, of these people who've done this because they will they will help me when I go to the school board and I ask for that thing. You know what? No, wait a minute. Two years ago, Neil was doing this. Let's roll film. Okay. And here's Neil on Skype to talk to us a little bit about why this is important. <laughs> to me, that's, that's everything. And it is, and I've, I've had experiences where I've given workshops and shown examples. and. That's the one moment where I've, I've talked about student voice and podcasting and had teachers' mouths drop because they, they <laughs> hear students' voice and the passion and the uh, energy the students will talk about their own work. And it, that, I've seen that a few, a number of teachers and administrators sort of go through serious paradigm shifts when you start talking about student voice and assessment. Excellent. Thank you for sharing, Neil. Would anyone else um, like to take the microphone and ask a question or share a comment or an experience? If so, just click on the hand with the little green arrow and we'll pass the microphone to you. Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about that um, movie that the high school students created and sort of what led them to the point of wanting to do a movie and how that went. That was such an exciting experience to hear about. Gladly. Um, I'll kind of go back to the beginning. Um, I, you know, I was teaching art and doing theater in a small town, and I was struggling uh, to keep the program alive because you know kids were in football and basketball and volleyball, and after, after all the sports practices, they came to play practice. So you know, when you have 250 kids in the high school, <laughs> that was me. Three kids tried out for the play, and, and I saw us dying. I knew the school board was thinking of cutting the drama program every year. We were on the block, uh, and so I had this buddy uh, who was going to film school. At Oklahoma State, and he found out I had a Mac, and he asked if I had Avid Cinema on the Mac, and I, I looked in, on the hard drive, and lo and behold, there was Avid Cinema. He said, "Can I drive up this weekend and, and make a movie and bring it back?" And I said, "What? <laughs> what?" My, so he came, and I said, "You can use my computer, but you have to show me what you did and how you did it." So he came, and he made his movie, and he he, he exported the movie, and back then this was not as easy as it was when iMovie came along. And so as soon as he left, I said, "Wow." We're not, make, we're not doing a play this year. We're doing, we're doing a feature film. I didn't know how to do a feature film, but I told everyone we're making a feature film, and my assistant director was scared to death. And we shot this terrible movie, and 50 kids tried out. Everyone in the community wanted their face on the camera. Um, and I saw all the excitement. And so we figured stuff out. We lived at the school. We crashed the computer. I don't know how many times. Didn't have enough RAM. None of that. But we wrote a check on an account we hadn't opened, and it made the news, the TV news. And my community got really excited. Uh, and right after the movie, right after the movie, uh, the school board said, "What do you need?" 
because they knew we did this on no budget with nothing. So the next year we had a new computer and uh, we had a new camera and microphones and we made our second movie and this just sort of took off, took off on its own. The second time, half the people who tried out for the movie were adults from the community. Now we didn't, we didn't fail to cast anyone who wanted FaceTime on camera and we wrote our own script so we owned everything. Kids made the soundtrack and Acid Pro on the PC uh, and kids made elements of the soundtrack and, and GarageBand on the, um, on the Mac. Um, and we, when we debuted that film, we made $5,000 on box office. We made another 5000 on tape sales. And then the school said, what do you need? And we wrote a VE2-funded program. And the next year, it was all students, student filmmaking. Um, so they were all on the computers. We had a lab in the room, and, and that became a class. But it took two years before doing a crazy, crazy you know, audacious thing and having the guts just kind of stick with that and say we're going to have a movie when we don't even know if it's coming out of the computer. Uh, I love that and I think it's okay to be scared again, to be excited again like a first year teacher. I see teachers experience almost a renaissance in their practice when they put themselves out there and they do this thing and if, if it's for kids, if it's for parents, if it's for community, if it's for learning and excitement and engagement, you cannot fail. If it's for all those things, people will come out of the woodwork to help you. But you've got to talk about it. You've got to say, this is what we're doing and this is why. And, and I saw people from the town, volunteers came out of the woodwork. On our second film, we had a prom scene we shot that was set in 1932, so we shot it in black and white. And a man from our nearby community brought on trucks antique cars, 1932 and older on trailers for free to park them outside of the community building so it would look like 1932. Uh, a dance instructor from a nearby town taught all the kids to waltz for free. Um, farmers came in with, with front-end loaders to give us better camera angles on certain scenes. Everyone was involved because it was this whole community thing and that became a story and that story was the genesis of the stuff we were doing with video and with film and so from then on getting support it was not a factor. I mean, everyone knew this was the student in the film program that they wanted to help. But it took some, it took some bravery <laughs> at the beginning, for sure. That's awesome about everybody that, com that contributed. Terry, did you have a comment or a question that you'd like to ask? You have the microphone now. Thank you. Uh, great story on that, Kevin. Uh, really, really good story. I was going to uh, throw in something. I, I remember I talked about this earlier. I came in a little bit late. Uh, we used podcasts, or at least used Audacity for ways of communicating with our project partners. Um, I have a project-based classroom, and for example, we've done lots of projects in Taiwan. And so we've been learning Chinese, and they've been learning English as part of their bilingual efforts. So the podcast idea is just really cool for this. So that uh, kid project partners make short little podcasts uh, with some language and, and put in some favorite things they like to do. Uh, and we send those back and forth just as like email attachments. And we found that they've just been wonderful for um, us trying to put the, the real intonations and real inflections in our Chinese, which we tend to sound extremely Midwestern clunky with. And uh, once we have the kids show us how to do it, we can say things like wo instead of wo you know, for I am. So that's just another application we've used in uh, our project-based classroom. Very nice. 
good idea. Thank you. Very good idea. Yes. Thank you, Terry, for sharing. Would anybody else uh, care to take the microphone? I'm going to share a couple of links to those first movies we made. And they take a while to load because they're fairly big files. But it'll give you an idea of what, what the process was like. Um, and I'll send you a link to, to the local news coverage of our first movie. It's two little videos, but when, when suddenly we made the news, if you want to get the local news station to come to your school, you write the press release. I said, small town makes Hollywood-style movie. Um, then, then they were fighting for the exclusive instead of me begging. Um, <laughs> and we made, sure, we made sure when they got to school, it looked like Hollywood. The, we had things we never really used in that room because we knew they were pointing a camera. So we had track lighting, and we turned all the lights off, and we had a clapboard so we could say, scene one, take Take two and action. <laughs> we did that because we knew that we had 30 second fluff piece they were going to do. We were going to make it our piece. We were going to promote the school and promote what we were doing. So, so they they loved it. They used every word of our press release and their story. You know, think about the news cycle. They, they talk about murder and mayhem for most of the hour, and then they have this mm -hmm. short 30 second inspiration mm -hmm. piece. And I think schools schools can go get those those moments if they if they think about how do we write this so that they want to bring a camera out here and point it at what we're doing. Yes, definitely so that they see the worth the benefit of coming out there. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was working with third graders, the third grade class was studying um crayfish. And I was teaching them to use photo stories. So they wrote their script. I showed them about 30 minutes um, how to record and um, you know add their audio to photo story. And uh, we took pictures and they put in the pictures that they wanted. They formatted it, and I just kind of after I showed them and their teacher how to do it, I just stepped back and provided my office and the computer for them to record. And one of them went back to their teacher as we were packing things up and said. Something happened to our um, to our photo story, our podcast, and I and we were like, what? What happened? Uh, we thought maybe somebody changed something. I we weren't sure because I recorded it. I you know we did the script. I recorded it, but it's not my voice. Something happened, and we thought and we thought, no, it is your voice. You just don't hear it the same way that it sounds to the rest of us because you're hearing blah blah blah, you know, the vibrations, blah blah blah. But he was convinced that something happened and it wasn't his voice. Mm. So that was a funny experience. Wow. Would anybody else care to um, make comments or share before we let Kevin go? Kevin, we appreciate you coming today and then for staying after. We appreciate it so much and we thank you. And I'm just a big fan of yours, Kevin, and you know, I follow everything that you do, you know, kind of like a, a little groupie, Kevin groupie, especially on Plurk. It's been so much fun. You know, I, 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 one little thing about Plurk and about Twitter. Uh, there was a news story the other night and there was a guy who was twit, twit hiking, twit hiking across the country. He was from the UK. Oh, yes. And, and, and I loved it because they said, don't you feel like it's dangerous? And he said, are you kidding? 2,000 people know exactly where I am. 
If you leave home <laughs> from mom and dad, two people know where you are if you call. On Twitter and on clerks, people know your life, so you are in a way sort of protected by this community. And you're protected in more ways than just physically. I mean, I'm sitting in a school board meeting, you know, and everyone's talking about something, and they're going to make a guess about something they want to do next based on the thoughts of seven people. And one, one time I was uh, sitting in a meeting and someone said, why are you using that computer? Are you checking your email? And I said, no, I'm making sure we do the right thing by having more minds involved in the seven at the table. I want to ask and see if anyone else has had these same issues come up. And now they really understand that I carry a think tank with me uh, of great people who, who have great ideas. Oh, that's an excellent way of explaining it your PLM concept. Hmm, I, I wouldn't want to have to live without them ever again. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. That's how I found my master's program was through Plurk. You know, I mean, I would totally turn to them first. It's a Rolodex. It's a card catalog. It's a think tank. It's a community. But only if you it's make it those group. things. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I this totally has been agree. so much fun. Well, thank you so much. And be sure that you check in um, for the links to the recordings later this afternoon or tomorrow on the liveclassroom20.com uh, site. We'll have all of that information posted. And join us next Saturday, the 28th, for part two uh, conversation about using Moodle in the classroom with Tomas Lasik. Have a great day, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.